Channel Open. Welcome back to Weekly Trek, a proud member of the Tricorder Transmissions Podcast Network and presented in partnership with TrekCore.com. I am your host, Alex Perry. What's today's date? The date. Today's show was recorded on February 26, 2023, and is current through the Star Trek Picard episode Disengage, so beware of spoilers. All right, let's get into the show. Good day, Voyager, and welcome to A Briefing with Neelix. It's a catchy title, isn't it? Weekly Trek is a regular news show covering the biggest stories from the Star Trek franchise. We are in a new golden age of Star Trek. There are five television shows in production, possibly more on the way, and enough merchandise to fill the Bajoran wormhole. So stick with me, and I'll help you sort the real facts from a lot of the Dominion propaganda that you'll find online. But I can't do this alone. And my guest this week is returning guest and co-host of the First Flight podcast, also here on the Tricorder Transmissions podcast network. It's Abby Summer. Abby, welcome back to Weekly Trek. Hi, Alex. It is wonderful to be here as always and excited to talk Trek with you. All right, Abby. Well, you know the drill. I want to know something's got you excited about Star Trek at the moment. What's got you moving at Warp 10? Okay, so I'm going to be indulgent and give you a tiny personal one and then a bigger general Please, one. absolutely. All right. So my tiny personal one is um, because of all the weather that happened over this past week, I ended up watching Picard not early, early, early in the morning before school, but when my power came back on mid-morning in my house because we were all iced out, which is great, except it meant that my daughters, who aren't quite old enough for Picard, were in the house and I wasn't waiting anymore. So they were off somewhere. Happened to walk past right when Worf comes in, makes his beautiful entrance and saves Rafi, right? And I was like, oh God, this is going to be a nightmare fuel. This is intense. And my older one turns to my little one and goes, oh, that's Alexander's daddy who sat in the mud bath. He's a good Klingon. That's why he's saving that warrior lady. And my heart just leapt. And I was like, yes. So that's my personal happy right there. (laughs) That's awesome. Isn't it? It's just the connections and all of the ways that it's infusing into them. I'm hoping that this means that there's a lot more Star Trek watching with us together and that they're getting these lessons as part of how they're growing up and they're going to be even more amazing as they grow than they are right now. So my personal one, but my bigger one. Yeah, my bigger one. Of course, it's Picard. How does anyone talk about anything else but Picard these days? I... I'm absolutely loving the end credits, the end theme, all those little Easter eggs that are in there. Yep. The, the the musical themes. I know that you are a music of Star Trek lover like me, and I have really enjoyed the nostalgia of the music and the newness of the music and how they're merging it all together and the visuals with it. I love these end credits. And I, I have to admit that I knew you got screeners and I asked you, I'm like, hey, is this always at the end a couple weeks ago? Because I was wondering <laughs> and I wasn't sure. And now I'm loving it. I've completely fallen in love with these end credits and I every time we have a new episode I go oh that's probably this and that's probably this and you know that there's so many layers to unpack there we haven't even found them all so I cannot wait to figure out all of those little details as the season goes on and I'm really hoping that that pop goes the weasel that's in there in music is going to be something that uh comes back later on so that might come back to my wish at the end of the show all right i love that well yeah it's really cool and yes they are easter eggs (laughs) as you can already tell right like they are sort of there are little hints there connected to things that happen in the rest of the season but obviously i'm not going to say any more than that because (laughs) i don't want to spoil anything for anybody but yeah it's cool i love that first contact music i think that (sighs) was a really great choice for a theme song for picard season three it's still got that 
that little flourish from one and two that kind of ties it back. But mm -hmm. it's very much like, hey, if your if your theory of action here was you were trying to say we're doing a last Star Trek: The Next Generation movie, I mean, what a perfect kind of theme to pick to sort of establish that as as like the sort of sense of it. But uh, yeah, I. Love that. Well, and the fact that it's the first contact music and it kind of segues into the TNG theme and then the like credit credits, the fast ones that are just words with no images have a third theme. Like it's just beautiful. And I love Star Trek music and I really hope the full version of this is on the soundtrack that we will hopefully get in a timely manner after this season. Well, speaking of soundtracks, that actually pivots into what I'm feeling good about Star Trek this week, which is I have been looking periodically back to kind of see when it happens. And it's been about a week, maybe two weeks. So I, I don't know if it just happened or if it happened in the last couple of weeks. But the now complete Star Trek Prodigy Season 1.5 soundtrack is now available on all of the yes. streaming platforms. And for purchase, it's called Volume 5. It's 73 tracks. It includes everything from the half-season opener what was that called? Asylum, all the way through yep. um, Supernova Part 2. So now, across two very large albums, it's probably like 150 tracks total, we have pretty much, I think, actually all of the music from Star Trek Prodigy Season 1 available. So I'm really pleased about this. I, Nami Melamad has been releasing the, the sort of volumes connected to it, which adds a few more episodes sort of periodically, and now everything's available. So if you were waiting for everything, you can now dive in, and if you were just waiting for, like, or, or if you've been collecting as you go and now you're waiting for the Supernova tracks, you can get those now too. Those are available for purchase. Uh, it's on iTunes so far. Uh, Amazon Music takes a little longer for it to like roll through its system, which is what makes me think that it actually maybe just happened this week because it's not on Amazon Music yet. But it is on iTunes and it'll pro and uh, pr it almost certainly is already on all of the streaming platforms like Spotify, etc. The Prodigy Music is amazing. And how lucky is Star Trek to have Nami? She is glorious. And if you ever listen to her interviewed, she is just so excited to be doing Star Trek and it shows in her music. And I wish every series released every bit of music like Prodigy does, because there are some wonderful short little bits in there that I would love to hear all of those from all the other ones too. But what a great thing to make you happy because you can listen to Prodigy music for hours, which is so much fun. Yeah, I'm definitely a more music is better guy, so I'm totally with you on that, right? Like, uh, sure, the, like, curated selections are fine, but I'm like, you know what? I'm also happy with everything, so give me everything. <laughs> yeah, because some of my very favorite pieces of Star Trek music are, of course, the big wonderful ones, but some of the little ones, too, have a lot of nuance. And so, yeah, bring it on. And thank you, Nami, for every little bit of music that you gave us. All right, well, with that, let's turn to the week's top stories. There's a war going on, and I'm a reporter. Star Trek Picard Season 3's next big reveal is here. Ed Spielers' character, Jack Crusher, is the son of Beverly Crusher and Jean-Luc Picard. The reveal, which was kept under wraps all throughout the press tour, noticed that Ed Spielers was kept almost entirely away from the press in the lead-up to Picard Season 3, was not one that the show took lightly, Picard showrunner Terry Matala said in an interview with Entertainment Weekly. He also explained that the decision ties very much into the theme of Season 3, which is the next generation and family. I felt like this had to be not only a passing of a torch to the next generation, 
generation, but a look back at the last generation and an introspective at what they viewed as the sins of their pasts, he told EW. As the season goes on and you see what it's all about, there are great regrets for all of them, but also a celebration of their triumphs that these are things that they could only overcome by coming together as this family. Showing that to a new generation, that just seems obvious, that should be the story. Matalas confirmed in the interview that the decision to make Jack Crusher the son of Beverly and Jean-Luc was done after a number of conversations with Beverly Crusher actor Gates McFadden, and speaking about the Picard-Crusher romance teased throughout TNG, but ultimately not realized in either the series or the movies, Matalas said this, quote, It always felt like, will they, won't they? It feels like, why didn't they for decades? It felt like it should have gone there in a feature film. Now that you're here at the end, wouldn't it be great to see, oh, they went there all right, and now we get to see the fallout of that and it kind of coming together. Abby, what was your reaction to learning the news that A, Jean-Luc Picard and Beverly Crusher did indeed have a romantic relationship, and B, that Jean-Luc Picard has a son? Well, I have to say, first of all, once we saw all the promo material and we saw how the character looks and we heard him speak with the English accent, it wasn't a surprise. And so I was wary. But I really kind of like that they're doing it delicately. And I I have grown up wanting Crusher and Picard together forever, but I kind of like the fact that we know they tried it and it didn't work. And we're here now to see how that comes. That is a very adult thing. That is something they would never have been really given the opportunity to do this way. Because even think about back to all good things. And she goes, well, that's why I married him. But obviously that didn't work either. So it's a nice little bit of continuity. And I'm really liking the reveal so far. I know you know so much more that we can't go into, and I am 100% sure if they had all these conversations with Gates that they did this the right way, and that they were not going to let Beverly have done this for anything other than what she believed was a really good reason. And if the revelation of this goes anything like that look on the bridge between the two of them, I'm going to have goosebumps every single episode because that look, that was a masterclass in face acting right there. The two of them just unspoken and it was glorious, absolutely glorious. And I can't wait to see how Picard deals with this. I mean, it's a little bit like, you know, bloodlines. You find out you have a son. He's not so much on the up and up, but I, there are so many layers here and every bit of Picard so far this season has been something that I feel is part of this bigger story. It's part of this 10 episodes. And I really am excited to see how all these threads pull in the ways that we don't expect. And you know what? I really like Ed Spleers. I think he's a great actor and I think he has just oozed charm so far this season and another master moment is that brig scene between him and picard where they're back and forth thinking about everything and yeah. he has to defend himself holy cow that's going to go down in probably top 10 scenes and jim morehouse out at trek ranks that is now my number one scene in a brig just to let you know i gotta change up my lists from the past because holy cow so i can't wait to see where this goes i can't wait to see the depth that it adds i can't wait to see how the talk goes between them and the reasons and i'm sure the ultimate forgiveness that comes with everything I mean, family are the people that you love the most and you're closest to, and they can hurt you the most, and they can also make you the happiest. So let's see where this goes. Bring it on. They're doing it well. And now that everybody knows that he's Picard's son, I can finally say this, which is, like, what perfect casting for, like... A young Jean-Luc Picard, right? Somebody on one of my previous episodes, I apologize, I can't remember who, said they were like, oh, he he really does look like a young Jean-Luc. And so, like, they had this whole kind of theory about like, oh, maybe it's a time travel thing. And and this is young Jean-Luc Picard. And well, I suppose it is a time travel thing of a, of a sort. It's just a very long, uh, it's one <laughs> with a lot of 
history and tradition and biology behind it yeah uh that ultimately you know results in I, I guess you could say a form of time travel but yeah i mean and you know if you just sort of kind of break down the character a lot of the character traits that we see jack crusher portray in this you know sort of effectively first episode that we really get to meet him are very similar to young Picard, right? What do we know about young Mm -hmm. Picard? He was reckless. He was arrogant. He was a bit of a womanizer, you know, an adventurer and like, yeah, that sounds like Jack Crusher to me, right? You sort of combine together the English accent and the look, you know? <laughs> yes. He, he, he does even look a little bit like the actor they got in Tapestry to be young Jean-Luc. He also looks a little bit like Tom Hardy. And like, yes. so it's sort of, you know, right? Like, it feels like they spent actually quite a bit of time and effort and energy trying to identify an actor and a character who would feel very much like representative of what would the son of Jean-Luc Picard and Beverly Crusher actually be like. Mm-hmm. Well, his profile is perfect. Like when you get that profile shot, you're like, oh yeah, look at that. They just kind of, they fit next to each other. If you put them all three in a row, you're like, yep, that makes sense. So I agree. That was absolutely perfect casting. And I'm excited to see how both Beverly and Jean-Luc have that kind of moral center that's very strong that occasionally can get them in trouble because it can verge on moral, not superiority, but but they're going to do what's right no matter what. And while we know that's usually the right thing to do, it's not always following the rules. And both of them have broken those rules. So of course their kid would. (laughs) So it's nice to see that spunk come from both of them. It's going to be fun to watch this develop. Yeah. And I mean, as it relates to Picard-Crusher relationship, I mean, right, like it's obvious that the relationship itself didn't work, right? Why? Because Picard does not talk to Crusher in 25 (laughs) years and didn't know he had a son, right? So I think we can infer from that, you know, sort of what the state of their relationship was by the end. And I think... You know, like you had sort of referenced all good things earlier, and I, it does feel very like of a, you know, them having this relationship and it ultimately not working does feel very like lined up with what we ultimately saw in Generations where they had a relationship. They even got married in in all good things and yep. then and then ultimately got divorced from each other and like by the time they come back together it's clear that A, they haven't talked for like this is in all good things, A, they haven't talked very much you know, recently, and B, mm-hmm. there is some frostiness and and hard feelings there, even though, you know, they, uh, they do ultimately, you know, still have this bond together. And it just feels like from this episode, the same is very true of, of what actually happened to Picard and Beverly, and that, like, you know, that potentially it appears to us right now that the course of their relationship was in some ways kind of similar to that, the, that, that we saw in All Good Things. And I really like that, right? I really like that mm-hmm. idea that there are some, and, and it's funny like actually when you take a step back and you look at sort of all good things and you look at you know that sort of future that they glimpsed there are a surprising number of parallels actually from a lot of the characters in terms of what happened to them and even the sort of galaxy as a whole right they talk about how the Romulan Empire has been conquered by the Klingons well it wouldn't take too much additional dialogue you know or like context which doesn't break anything you learn about the all good things future to say that 
the Romulan Empire suffered a supernova and then the Klingon Empire came in and conquered them, right? Like that's the timeline difference between the prime timeline and that timeline. And and I really like that. I like those connections. I like that the All Good Things future, there are obviously a ton of differences between the prime timeline and the All Good Things future, but there are a lot of thematic connections too. And that mm, it really speaks to me. Yeah. It, I love the fact that you know Terry Metalis knows his track, loves his track, and is honoring it. This franchise right now is being taken care of by people who really love it. And that shows in all of these little themes and connections and callbacks that don't need to be there, but they make it so much better because they are. Well, from old characters to new, Captain Liam Shaw is one of the most interesting new characters in the modern era of Star Trek and has already captured fans' imaginations and sparked some debate through the two episodes of the season so far. In a red carpet interview from the Hollywood premiere with Trek movie, Liam Shaw actor Todd Stashwick talked a little about the role. On the development of the character, Stashwick said, quote, Shaw was developed by the writers in the writer's room. They obviously knew they wanted to bring me along for the ride, so I think I kind of was already in the development process whether I was present or not. They already knew my voice because of the four seasons of Twelve Monkeys, referring of course to Terry Metalis's previous show, which Stashwick had a starring role in. And when asked about his preparation for the role, Stashwick, who is is already an avowed nerd and Star Trek fan, said, quote, I did my brush up on kind of a chain of command and understanding rank and positions on the bridge and refreshed myself with that and understanding what class of ship I have. And I wanted to know all that stuff to feel prepared. But everything about the character is on the page and all I had to do was read it because they wrote such a beautiful script. And how does Stashwick want fans to feel about Captain Liam Shaw? Quote, I want them to be delighted. I want them to delight in him in all that that means. Not just giddy happy, I want them to be angry with him. I want their heartbreak for him. I want them to love him and laugh with him. All of it. Abby, what's been your reaction so far to Todd Stashwick's performance as Captain Liam Shaw? What a great addition. Like he, first of all, what a great actor and possibly could be my new favorite follow on Twitter because he is just blowing it up with all sorts of stuff. And he gave a close up of that blue meat, which just made my little Star Trek food heart <laughs> sing. But uh, I think Again, if this is a character that is, he's not necessarily wrong in any of his choices. He's just not real nice or pleasant to be around. And that's okay. Like, we all know people like this. And it's obvious that he is very committed. He is very smart. And he, to put his crew before everything else, is not ennoble, immoral, or any of that. I cannot wait to see him butt heads with our heroes because I think. I've liked seeing them in this later stage of life and realizing that they are not, you know, the ones that are on first call all the time. They still have this incredible wealth of knowledge, but what a great foil. And I love that you say, you know, that he says in there that he wants them to be delighted because you can delight in somebody that annoys the bejesus out of you. You can delight in somebody who provides the devil's advocate point of view. You can delight in somebody who makes you roll your eyes. We love to hate characters. And I don't think by the end of this all, we're going to hate him. I think we're going to understand him more and we're going to see him as, a, as a, different, a different entity in Starfleet. And I am massively curious to how we had Vatic refer to his psychological profile. Because you can see this is a man who's been through stuff. You don't have that protect everybody's lives at all cost instinct if you haven't been through something. And there's been so many little snide board comments and stuff off to the side. Maybe there's a connection there. Maybe we are going back to Wolf 359. Maybe he's had other dealings with the Borg. Maybe, who knows? But I think he's a wonderful 
character to add in. And I cannot wait to see what both the character and the actor do next with this because he has been a delight. It's so wonderful to have complex characters, right? And Shaw is a complex character, even across these first two episodes, you know, going from being completely unimpressed uh, with Picard and Riker, fast forward to the end of the episode when he discovers his first officers betrayed him and he's like, what the hell is going on? Through to then deciding to intervene to save Picard and Riker, through to then deciding that for the benefit of his crew, he's going to follow through and give up Jack Crusher since Jack wants to be given up, okay. through to then following Picard's instructions to hold firm and decide not to give him up, right? Like, I mean, that is just a little mini arc in and of itself just for that one character. And Stashwick's before, I mean, I talked about this last week, so I'm not going to believe the point but Stashwick's performance is so good yeah I, like the character is so compelling I mean I hated him in the first episode but not in a way where it was like I hate you as a character and never want to see you again it's like exactly. how dare you talk to my heroes that way but you're really interesting and I'd like to see more of you and I'm you know love the more that we get in this episode and looking forward to the more that we will get in additional episodes about this character but it, I, th- I think one of the other things too that sort of new in the last kind of couple of weeks is like actually how much fun it appears that Todd Stashwick is having being (laughs) in Star Trek just today. So today's Sunday, February the 26th, the Star Trek cruise left port Friday, February 24th. Todd Stashwick is on it. He was not an announced guest. It was like a very last minute, like here he is. You can imagine it's the sort of thing that came together really quickly. And already people have sort of reported back from having, you know, sort of met and interacted with him, done pictures and that kind of stuff that like, it's obvious how much he is just loving the fact that he is on Star Trek, that he's a Star Trek captain. And like, that's really cool, right? Like I I just really like anytime somebody who is a fan, you know, gets the opportunity opportunity to do something like that and the character itself is is wonderful. Well, I love that he's not afraid to share his love with the fandom. Like when you come from a fandom and then get to be part of it, what an incredible experience. And he understands the giving back and just like I said, the bantering and the things he's putting out in the interviews. He's doing a lot of things as both an actor and a fan. And that is so fun to see. It, it, his joy is contagious, which is funny because he plays such a crusty character. <laughs> yeah. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, it's just like, I, you know, I've seen some of the comparisons to Jellicoe and I, you know, I think there's there's some fairness to that. I mean, a, you know, uh, in terms of like, it's cool to have a character that creates differing opinions. I don't think, I don't think Shaw is at all like Jellicoe in terms of how he actually is and the way that he functions. I think he maybe comes off a little bit more like that in the first episode, but you know, sort of things will happen. But to sort of an earlier point that you made, there is this kind of interesting thing in which, yeah, like in fiction, everybody has the same heroes, but in reality, nobody has the same heroes. And one person's heroes are another person's villains. And even though it's pretty clear that Shaw doesn't think that Picard and Riker are villains necessarily, it's like, He's not as impressed with them as other people are. It sort of reminds me, I was watching Relics the other day, and I made some snarky tweet about yes. it. But there's this moment where, like, the young Ensign leads Scotty into the into his, like, guest quarters, and Scotty's about, is, like, sort of starting to tell stories about time on the Enterprise, and the little Ensign's like, um, I actually have to get back to duty, so, like, I can't talk to you anymore. <laughs> 
and I tweeted something snotty that was like, "How dare he cut? You know, how dare he cut off Scotty in the middle of describing the plot of of uh, I think that was Wolf in the Fold in that case. <laughs> you know, like like stupid kid doesn't know anything. But it's also just like you know, times change and things move on, and heroes today are not necessarily heroes tomorrow. And I don't know, it 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 does help to create a more fleshed out and nuanced and frankly realistic universe within which these characters inhabit to have you know differing opinions about Admiral Picard right he's not universally a hero you know like yes he had very successful tenure on the parts that we saw the Enterprise D and the early years the Enterprise E but like he was the hermit of Labar for 20 years and I think that creates a space in which people can have some differing opinions about his records and accomplishments yeah I couldn't agree more and I love the complexity that all the characters are getting. And I'm hoping that that continues as we pick up the rest of the original TNG crew and have all the cameos we know about and the ones we don't know about yet, because I think they're doing a great job of showing like we had Jack say, nobody's the same as you knew them 20 years ago. And so that time in there has done a lot to the bigger universe and their relationships between. And I think that Shaw is going to be a great way to sometimes vocalize and point out things that maybe our TNG crew wouldn't say to each other, but he's going to say them because he doesn't have the same relationship and he doesn't hold them in the, the same regards that they hold each other. And that could put a lot of forward motion into the plot. So bring it on. Well, turning away from Star Picard season three's characters and focusing a little more on production. A Variety article released last week around the time of the premiere goes into a little more detail about the genesis of the design of the USS Titan and also for the design of the bridge. For Picard showrunner Terry Metalis, the inspiration of the Titan more or less turned into the Titan itself. Quote, I saw this incredible starship designed by digital artist Bill Krauss called the USS Shangri-La, which was a Star Trek motion picture era class ship with a half saucer on top and an Excelsior-inspired next generation curve on the bottom, which I thought was really interesting. I said to production designer Dave Blass, I think the Titan should feel something like this. Blass then set about, in addition to hiring the talents of Bill Krauss to produce a 25th century version of the Shangri-La design, to pulled together a talented team of veterans from Star Trek's of old, including Doug Drexler, John Eaves, Mike Akuda, and Sean Hargreaves, who worked on Star Trek Beyond and designed the Enterprise A. I think the starships in the Star Trek universe are as heroic as the captains who sat in those seats, Blass explained. So when we were bringing the production crew together, I wanted to bring the best designers from all of Star Trek together on one project. Blass also explained some of the design choices behind the bridge, including the lighting. The bridge of the Titan is only 12 feet bigger than the Enterprise E, and we were shooting with multiple cameras, so it had to be wide enough to get all the widescreen view shots without picking up the other cameras. And we designed the Titan with bigger consoles so the bridge itself would light itself, because with our very limited time frame, we couldn't completely relight the set for every single take. Abby, are you a fan of the Titan and its bridge design? Oh, it's so pretty. It's so pretty. And I'm not the biggest space ship person like I can tell you which ones I like and don't but I don't know all the specs but this one is I just want to go sit there and and touch everything like because it looks like it's functional and that's one of the coolest things and I I've heard some interviews with some of these old designers that they've brought in and they said you know what's cool about what we can do now is they take all of our ideas and they make them actually work they (laughs) they do things that we never could do back when we designed them so it's it's like honoring that and then taking it to the next level and that is so lovely and I think it's so cool that the 
bridge helps light itself because that is one shiny bridge. I hope yeah. they have invested in like Windex or polishing cloths or something <laughs> because that that's a lot. And nobody's allowed to eat any chips on your break because you're going to get those fingerprints all over everything. But how neat that it helps light itself like that. That's an, again, it's actually functional. You feel like you could walk on this bridge and press buttons and things would actually work. And I have to say, as someone who doesn't always go, ooh, the ship, the ship, the shot when the Titan comes in and breaks the tractor beam on the shuttle holy cow that's one of the coolest visual effects shots i've seen in a really long time and it shows that ship in every bit of its glory and i actually went ooh out loud because this is a beautiful ship and i can't wait to see more parts of it and i mean all the even the the auxiliary rooms we've seen the the brig the ready room the conference room all of these things are really well done they they feel like extensions of the same place and i'm so glad that they brought in people who had the history and people with new ideas because it turned out beautifully yeah i think the thing about lighting the bridge is fascinating there's obviously been a lot of conversation online about you know sort of um oh yeah the darkness on the bridge and like why is it so dark and you know this that and the other and that honestly like that's a great reason from a production standpoint which is it takes a lot of time to light these sets in certain ways for certain shots and between shots you have to relight them and you know they were doing this on quite a compressed covid you know sort of pushed schedule and i think you know as a result okay yeah that right like from a production perspective hey if that's what it means that we get star trek picard season three is that we don't get an enterprise d style lit bridge okay fine yeah. fine with me right like no problem whatever it, you know the lighting levels on the bridge is not something that has ever really sort of bothered me all that much um but i i certainly understand why people feel the way that they do about it and then yeah on the ship itself i'm a really big fan of the ship design it it, it certainly like surprised me at first right like the first time you see it and you go oh that's a yeah. constitution class saucer in the 21st century that feels a, li- a little weird to see it for the first time but then you know you see it fly around a little bit you see shots like the one that you referenced in Disengage where it breaks the tractor beam and you're like, oh yeah, I could see why this is sort of a classically iconic design that, you know, has been, you know, sort of adapted in really successful ways, but has never been completely, you know, sort of replaced as being just the best version of this. And there's a section in the interview that I I didn't include in the in the in the description of it where Terry talked about how he was like, yeah, you know, I, I he's a bit of a car guy too. And he was like, there's there's been this big movement in the car world around like retro cars and going back to some of these retro design aesthetics. And he was like, why wouldn't that be true for starships as well? And like, hey, that works for me, right? as like a you know an, an an explanation for this to the extent that any is necessary which it's not because it's just a really great ship design and i mean just everything we've seen of it so far is wonderful and i can't wait to see more couldn't agree any harder well and lastly this week paramount have announced the home video release of the last four of the original 10 star trek movies that have not yet been released in 4k that being the movies of star trek the next generation to coincide with star trek picard season three and in celebration of first contact day which it's comes from one of those movies, Star Trek Generations, Star Trek First Contact, Star Trek Insurrection, and Star Trek Nemesis will be released on April 5th of this year. With this release, all 13 Star Trek movies will now be available to purchase in 4K. The set is currently available for pre-order anywhere you can get home media, and is currently listed on Amazon.com for $90.99, though since we're, you know, 
two months out, it wouldn't shock me if that falls a little bit as we get closer. Abby, what's your favorite Star Trek The Next Generation movie? Oh, that is a hard question. <laughs> because I want to kind of say yes to all of them for certain different reasons. Like, I couldn't pick. Ask me tomorrow and I'd have a totally different answer. A lot <laughs> depends on mood. I do have a super soft spot for Generations. I watch it every Christmas. It was the first Star Trek movie that I saw in the theater. So that one has a, a special place in my heart. But I do not think it is the best of all of them. Yeah. And, you know, I have to say that I'm I'm a nemesis defender. I don't think by any means is it a perfect movie. It is not the best next gen movie, but it has really good pieces. It has really good moments. And you know what? You want to talk about cool costumes. Shinzon has a great costume in sure. Nemesis. Like, holy cow, that's beautiful. So I don't know if I could I could pick one, but let me tell you, I don't have a 4K TV in my house, but I know somebody who does, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to be hanging with them <laughs> come <laughs> later this spring for at least a little bit, because I have watched these so many times, I cannot wait to see them in the, the gloriousness of 4K. Like, I saw Prodigy at my house and then went and watched it with my friend and their 4K TV, and I couldn't, I didn't want to blink. The difference is so amazing. So I can't wait to see how, what it does to these great films. Yeah. And also these 4K releases provide an opportunity to correct an injustice done to the Star Trek movies by the Blu-ray releases. And Generations is one of the movies that suffers the most from it, which is they did all kinds of weird color things yes. and, you know, sort of over sharpening and in the 2009 Blu-ray releases. And those are the transfers that have been used for streaming since then. And so basically, unless you've watched the DVDs of those movies since 2009, you've only seen the version of the movie that doesn't look like the movie in the theatres. Yep. The new 4K releases go back to the original kind of colours, and like, so for Generations, there are whole scenes in Generations that have this like weird kind of green tint to them mm -hmm. uh, in the current version of the movie, particularly a lot of the stuff in the Nexus, you know, out on the ranch, all the horse riding stuff, a bunch of the effect shots, and like, Generations is one of the most gorgeous Star Trek movies, it doesn't need yes. a much colour job to like make it look different and so i'm really excited to get a new version of this movie which restores it to the old version of this movie so i can go back and watch the movie as it was intended to be seen by the people who made it and thankfully this is you know this is the last four of these releases these will be the blu-ray and streaming releases going forward i i, I have heard that i haven't check to confirm myself but the Star Trek movies are currently on HBO Max and those are showing the 4K streams the new ones and not the old 2009 Blu-rays so hey if you like the 2009 Blu-rays better more power to you it's your personal taste you can do whatever you want and you can buy those right there are plenty of copies of them out there go nuts but I'm excited that the movies going forward will be returned to their original presentation and look the way that these movies were supposed to look absolutely alright well we talked about the facts and now let's speculate on what's going to happen in the future of Star Trek you make some very good points Captain but it's still all speculation and theory so each week, my guest and I give you a wish or theory we're nurturing about any of the shows or the future of the franchise. So Abby, let's hear your theory or wish for this week. All right. So I have a wish and I have a theory. My wish is super tiny. Uh, my wish is that Star Trek Picard season three continues to be possibly the best example of Star Trek knitwear that's out there. The <laughs> sweaters and the like the shawls, the jackets, all that. Anyone who follows me knows that this is this is one of my things. I live in a cold place. There's a lot of cardigans and sweaters in my life. And wow, New Trek has been doing 
the most gorgeous, intricate knitwear. And I've taken a few screenshots and pictures and wow, I hope they keep it up because it might be rivaling. Discovery's had some really good knitwear recently too, but this season of Picard is gorgeous. So please keep the knitwear coming. And my theory is kind of nebulous, but I like it. So I'm going to throw it out there. And if you already know the answer to this, feel free to just, you know, do do your Alex pivot. Yep. But I think there's some sort of connection between lore coming back this season in Picard and why we see Moriarty. I mean, Moriarty was created because we wanted an opponent that had the possibility of beating Data. Well, guess what? Lore and Data are practically for all counts and purposes besides the evilness similar. So if lore is being a problem, well, guess what? Here's somebody who can defeat him. So let's bring him out of whatever table his little box or cube or virtual reality is sitting on and and let's bring him back. So I think there's a bunch of connections in there that we're going to be seeing more of. And I hope it's a rip-roaring bunch of great fun. Abby, I love that theory. I'm not going to say anything because (laughs) uh, I don't want to spoil anything from Star Trek Picard Season 3 for you. But... That's a great theory, and we'll see if that or any of the other things you've you've sort of theorized about in this episode come true in the next few episodes. Well, let me give you my theory for this week. I had been super bullish for a really long time about the idea that we were going to have back-to-back Star Trek beginning with Star Trek Picard Season 3 and basically running all the way through the end of this year. I, I still kind of think that because... I think that, you know, my sense of it is they should want to do Picard Season 3, Strange New Worlds Season 2, Discovery Season 5, Lower Deck Season 4, and Prodigy Season 2.0 this year. (laughs) And they can, if they pretty much do back-to-back Star Trek for every week from now until the end of the year. For that, they would get through all of Picard Season 3, Strange New Worlds Season 2, Discovery Season 5, Lower Deck Season 4, and they would start Prodigy Season 2. They wouldn't finish it in 2023, just because not enough weeks, if, unless they overlap, which they have done before. But, I, you know, I'm actually starting to wonder if they really aren't going to roll straight from the end of Picard Season 3 into something else, right? It's now episode two of Picard season three. That means we're eight weeks away from the season finale. That's two months. That means we're nine weeks away from when the next show should begin. Do we know what that show is yet? (laughs) No. Do Do we have a theory about what that show could be? My sense of it has always been just looking at the production schedule, Star Trek Strange New Worlds season two filmed before Star Trek Discovery season five. And so I was like, well, then it makes sense that Star Trek Strange New Worlds season two would follow Star Trek Picard season three. Okay. Yeah. But we're nine weeks away and we have not seen one frame of footage from Star Trek Strange New Worlds season two. Not a teaser, not a trailer, not a character reveal video and nothing right now. I can hear people saying to me already, oh, yeah, Alex, but the Strange New Worlds hype machine for season one didn't start up until basically like four weeks before the season premiered. Correct. But two things to say to that. One, we knew the season was premiering, right? Like we knew the release date for Strange New Worlds season one. We were like, oh, we've not gotten like a full trailer yet. But hey, we know when the date it's happening is. And as it got closer and closer, we were like, wow, it's getting awfully close without a full trailer. What's going on here? And then we did eventually get the full trailer and then like a, a PR blitz on it for four weeks before they then rode 
hard into the premiere of Strange Worlds extremely successfully. But this, it is not that, right? Like, we don't know when the next premiere date is after Star Trek Picard Season 3. And if the next one is right after Star Trek Picard Season 3, that's only nine weeks away. Now, there is another candidate that's out there, right? Discovery Season 5. So, Discovery Season 5, we do have a teaser trailer for. We don't have a release date for, but we do have a teaser trailer for. Wilson Cruz had said, I don't know, I think he said on the Tignataro podcast that was recorded a couple of months ago that Discovery Season 5 was probably going to be coming in the spring. And then a couple of people you know, like a couple of the sort of fan outlets picked that up and said, oh, Discovery Season 5 is coming in the spring. And then I think he said on Twitter, actually, you know, my most recent thing I heard was that Discovery Season 5 was coming closer to the summer, right? Like, and who knows, you know, the extent to which any of that is like true or not, or him just talking out loud or whatever, or the rumor mill amongst the Discovery production itself kind of spinning and churning and nobody really knows. But I just, I, I, you know, I I had sort of mentally prepared myself for, all right, Picard Season 3 was going to end, the next one was going to start, that would probably Stranger World Season 2, then that would end, Discovery Season 5 would start. Now I'm like, "Mm, well, I mean, we're nine weeks away from the date at which that next one is supposed to start and we don't know what it is yet. Now that could change in the next couple of weeks and this theory could go in the trash and I kind of hope it does because I'd like to keep the train running. I like like new (laughs) Star Trek. I like watching new Star Trek. I would like for new Star Trek to continue. But this doesn't feel like 2022 where it was like, all right, here's outlined over the next five, you know, they basically told us to schedule in January from January through to July. It's now the end of February. By the time this episode comes out, it'll be the end of February and we don't know what's happening after Picard season three ends which will be I think that's like April 20th is the finale date for Star Trek Picard season three so that's all we are through right April the 27th who knows what's happening <laughs> that week is there new Star Trek is there not we don't know yet Um, so I, I guess I'm just sort of saying like I've been super bullish about 50 weeks of new Star Trek this year unless in the next few weeks they tell us what the you know then six week away kind of you know season will be and do some promotion from it I actually think there might be a bit of a break after Star Trek Picard season three what that then that that then means for shows later on in the year and what drops when and how and wherever I don't know but I'm starting to suspect that we might have at least a break of a few weeks after Picard season three before something else starts Abby what do you think about that well I I'm with you on the I hope that's not true but I also kind of feel that it is and the only thing in the back of my head that's going well maybe Maybe, maybe because there is so much press and so much hype and so many interviews and appearances and everything with the Picard cast right now. Maybe they're giving them their moment and they're going to really start pushing like halfway through for whatever's next. But I don't know that that seems like they could they could have done both. Like you said, give us a premiere date and, you know, a little bit here or there, because it does feel it feels like there's not enough out there yet. And I am chomping at the bit for all of those series that are coming up. And especially right now, I'm in the middle of a Discovery rewatch, which I had paused after season two to cram in a bunch of Picard and TNG. But I've come back to and I've realized it's been a long time since we've had Discovery. It was what, last January, February, about It's been more than a year. Yeah. And man, I miss Saru. I really miss Saru and I miss the other ones too, but I I miss that, that calming Doug Jones presence of Saru. And I'm glad I have everything to go back and watch, but it has been a long time. So it wouldn't surprise me if they flipped discovery before strange new worlds and maybe made strange new worlds more the, the, the summertime before lower decks, but they've got so much momentum 
going into Strange New Worlds 2 and going into Picard 3, I hope that the reason they're not doing it is because they don't want to take any shine off of somebody else. But whenever it comes, I'm happy. I'm hoping there's not a lot of breaks or overlaps. Overlaps are hard <laughs> as someone who gets up real, real early to watch whatever the new Star Trek is before the workday starts. Double episode days are hard, but I will gladly see 4 a.m. if it means that I get more Trek. And it is certainly possible that one of the lessons they learned from 2022 is there should be, you know, sort of, it doesn't need to be like months, but there should be a little break in between, you know, the different shows to kind of give them time to breathe. I, I think Discovery Season 4 suffered a little from the fact that it kind of overlapped with Prodigy and overlapped with Picard Season 2 um, in places, and like the end overlapped with Picard Season 2, so like attention was really split between those two shows at that point, and like, you know, maybe their conclusion from that is, okay, well, we're not going to do that, but then it's like, you know, the Paramount Plus puts out a trailer a couple of weeks ago that's like Prodigy Season 2 coming in 2023, so alright, well, okay, well then, you know, <laughs> then, then other things have to fit in and around there as well, and, and you start to run out of time on the calendar pretty quickly, so yeah, we'll see, I guess I, this is just sort of my way of kind of acknowledging I, in early January, I was like, oh yeah, I think there's going to be a big announcement on release date soon. And, and there hasn't been. And now I'm like, well, maybe my whole theory for the way this year will go is wrong. And I'm happy to admit when I'm wrong. Well, and who knows, maybe they're waiting for another big day to announce. I mean, first contact day is in April, but that seems like it would be a big crunch to gear something up quickly. Do you have a theory or a wish for Discovery, Picard, Strange New Worlds, Lower Decks, or Prodigy that you'd like to share? Tweet them to me at Weekly Trek or email them to me at Weekly trek at the tricordertransmissions.com and i might feed you a theory in a future episode well that's all the time we've got for this episode of weekly trek thank you so much to my guest abby summer for joining me today abby how can people contact you if they want to continue the conversation well the best place to find me is still on twitter which thank you so much for still being around because it's the one i'm best at <laughs> me too <laughs> yeah I'm at Abby M. Summer, that's S-O-M-M-E-R, and you can find the podcast that I host with my fabulous co-host Chris and our co-host Emerita Melanie, and we are First Flight Pod. We're an Enterprise rewatch podcast going back through every episode. We're about a third of the way through season two, and we're about to hit some, some famous ones. So come give us a listen. You can find us on all the socials at First Flight Pod. And you can find the show on Twitter at Weekly Trek and me at Alexander T. Perry. And if you enjoy the show, please consider leaving us a five-star review on your podcast player of choice and please check out some of the other great shows on the tricorder transmissions and if you like our shows please also consider becoming a patreon of tricorder which you can find at patreon.com slash the tricorder transmissions and lastly if you're looking for star trek news on the internet i hope you will turn to trekcore.com well thank you abby thank you to all of my listeners and until next week live long and prosper <laughs>